0: Listening to In Tune, a podcast series featuring equity research analysts from BMO Capital Markets. Our shows explore key emerging themes, trends, and issues which are important to our institutional clients globally.
1: What accounts for 20 to 25% of worldwide GHG emissions? Turns out it's agriculture. And in today's InTune podcast, we have the conversation about what the possibilities are to curb these emissions on-farm. I'm Camilla Sutton, Head of Product Management and Equity Research, and I am joined by my colleague, Joel Jackson, fertilizers and chemicals analyst, speaking to his August report titled Transitioning to On-Farm Carbon and Emissions Management. Joel, we've got a lot of ground to cover today, so why don't we dive right in. Welcome to the show.
2: Thanks a lot, Camilla.
1: You've written some incredible research over the years, but tell us, what was the impetus for publishing this report?
2: Well, like you mentioned earlier, uh, farm and farmland soils and agriculture are really responsible for maybe a quarter of global emissions. And this has led to the conversations around all this intensifying. Everyone was talking about it. You're seeing a lot in the media, in movies. And... What we really wanted to do was go and look and say, okay, if farms do focus on doing farming practices like no-till farming and cover cropping that will help sequester more carbon in the soil and emit less, what does this mean for farms, for farm profitability? Would this be a benefit? Would this be a burden? And so we hadn't seen you know, anyone else dive deep into the actual impacts for a farmer. Sure, lots of companies are talking about it. Lots of fertilizer, pesticide, and seed companies are talking about it. Food companies are talking about it. Lots of companies have pilot programs to figure out how much carbon and other emissions we can save with some of these practices. But no one's talking about it in practical terms. And we really wanted to dive deep into that for investors.
1: You can really see how this is growing in importance as well. So why not right up front? What were your core main conclusions from the report?
2: So, you know, while many do hope that some of these farming practices, no-till farming and cover cropping could help become a benefit for farmers to monetize sustainability practices and lower all these emissions, these emissions really what we've kind of learned is this may actually prove to be a burden unless government and food industry incentives materially increase and broaden the transition to no-till and cover cropping creates a meaningful upfront cost for farmers. There are sizable crop production yields lost in the first years. The incremental benefits are very difficult to measure and quantify And the financial gains and improved soil health takes a long time to materialize. And that's why we've seen a lot of farmer pushback on it in in, in the last few years.
1: So were these findings controversial then? And maybe on top of that, what has the crop input industry provided as feedback for you?
2: Yeah, I think some of these findings are controversial among the investment community, but not among the, the companies. So, you know, what we're talking about is this, is The academic value of what people thought the amount of carbon you could sequester in the soil is less than what many thought. Many thought maybe you could sequester 0.6 tons of carbon in the soil by doing some of these practices. Turns out it might be 0.3, 0.4, 0.5. What we also learned from some of the early data is that it's so variable how much carbon you're going to sequester on an acre from year to year, including on the same acre. There are a lot of reasons why. Nature. Uh, whether if it's very dry you more carbon may get emitted uh, into the into the air farmer practices one farmer might do something right something wrong that could change if a farmer decided uh, later on they didn't want to do these practices anymore that would emit more more carbon into into the atmosphere so just you know the amount of variability there also it's we learned it's very difficult and imprecise to measure carbon the tools we have today trying to figure out how much we actually emitted or not emitted or sequestered is difficult and what you're really relying on are, is it's very expensive to, to actually monitor for how much soil-based carbon is there. You do every five years, it's very expensive, say $20 an acre. So you're having to maybe only every fifth year actually monitor for real. So you, haven't, you need to have models, modeling how much you probably sequester in years, two, three, four, five, and then maybe in year six, doing a, another study and, and doing a true up later on. And so I, I think also you know, just showing that the yield losses are, are quite large you know what a farmer doesn't like. A farmer doesn't like walking down his or her rows in, in June and seeing how poor the crop looks because you know they're doing new practices. So that's a bit controversial too. And just overall the you know what we're saying is at least five years payback is needed for this to work. You know, to for farm to make money. It could be as high as 10. So you know the crop input producer that we cover are all doing this because they want to find out ways to monetize. Can they have software tools for farmers to help them operate this? Can they have tools to help farmers connect with food companies who may be able to pay farms that have better sustainability and also to connect them to carbon marketplaces or even run carbon credit marketplaces? We spoke to many of the input producers doing these these initiatives, these pilot programs before we wrote the report as part of our process. After we wrote the report, they all agreed you know, that this is kind of the findings that they're finding as well. So it's not really controversial for them. But I, I think in a world where high level, this sounds great. Yeah, wow, we're, we're emitting a lot of carbon in the world and this is causing us lots of problems around climate change. Hey, what if we just change our farming practices and we could s- sequester all that carbon in the soil and everybody's happy? But we find out it is what's controversial is it's blurry, the financial outcomes are complicated and it's not as easy as everybody thought.
1: So Joel, can you walk us through what some of these sustainability practices really are on farm?
2: Sure. So... The first thing is no-till farming. So what you're doing is, instead of turning the soil over in the fall, you leave the soil alone. And you may have husks or waste or anything, and you just leave that alone. And by doing that, you're not letting carbon emit. So that makes your farmland not as clean and not as set up to deliver high-yielding production in, in, in the subsequent spring and summer and fall. The second thing you would be doing is cover cropping or cover crop so you'd be applying a, a planting a crop across the winter instead of normally just leaving the the farmland barren or, or empty by planting a, a crop what you're doing is you're trapping the carbon in during the winter but the crop that you're planting the seed that you're planting isn't for cash so it's an upfront cost and and that's the problem with some of these systems is you know you're having new equipment You're having paying for seed costs across the winter that, uh, you know, that's extra cost. You're not getting revenue back for it There's other expenses, too. And then you're getting yield losses. So so, you know, those are the types of practices you're doing no till and cover cropping to try to sequester carbon.
1: So you highlight there's some pretty big barriers here, but really what would need to change for things like no till or cover crop and other sustainability practices to be more widely adopted?
2: What you need are the incentives to get higher. So what are we talking about? If the price of carbon today is $15 or $20 a ton for a high-quality carbon credit, the government's going to have to offer more, or pilot programs or private companies have to offer more, or food companies are going to have to offer premiums to farms that follow sustainability practices. It doesn't happen overnight. And you know, do food companies want to pay more for crop inputs? Of course they don't. Do consumers, most consumers want to pay more for the food they consume? Do consumers want to pay $15 for a Big Mac combo? Of course they don't, but this is what has to happen. We have to, we're going to have to raise the price of food and we're going to have to offer higher incentives for, for, for carbon sequestration. So this could mean companies that purchase carbon credits to offset some of their own operations, think of a a Shopify or a Microsoft willing to pay more money or, or forced to pay more money to cover their own emissions.
1: So what will the impact of all of this be for the crop input producers and for fertilizers use going forward?
2: A few things, Camilla. First, I would say that you might see a push for lower or more enhanced nitrogen fertilizer usage. So at least using products that will lead to less waste of nitrogen fertilizer and lower emissions. For these companies also, as I mentioned earlier, they're developing software tools to help farmers manage this, manage carbon monitoring. And managing sustainability schoolers on your farm, connecting you to carbon credit marketplaces, connecting you to food companies. Those would be the the main things that I think would benefit those companies.
1: So when it comes to agriculture, this seems like a huge change. What are the other themes and initiatives that we should be watching?
2: As well, and sort of related, you're, you're seeing a push to use more carbon-free fertilizer, so carbon-free nitrogen or, car- or lower carbon nitrogen, so ammonia or urea, and that would help to reduce actual you know carbon placed into the soil and it would come at a premium but then hopefully the farmer would get a you know a carbon credit or, or a food company paying them to have a more sustainable farm also what you're seeing in agriculture and, and, and that's kind of early on days but we're seeing companies start to build green and blue or low carbon nitrogen production plants in, in the us and elsewhere it takes some years the second thing would be uh, something called biologicals or microbials these are organic or naturally occurring pesticides and fertilizers to help replace some of the functionality that seeds and synthetic fertilizer are doing. Also early days, although a lot of products are out there. Some of the, these naturally occurring pesticides and fertilizers are difficult to replicate the same functionality in different soils and different regions and different weather. But definitely you're seeing that as one of the major pushes in, in, in ag tech.
1: All right, Joel, that brings us to the end of our podcast. We really appreciate you joining us today and sharing all this knowledge. Thanks, Camilla. That was Joel Jackson, BMO Capital Markets, Fertilizers, and Chemicals Analyst, speaking to us about his August report titled Transitioning to On-Farm Carbon and Emissions Management. Female Capital Markets is proud to deliver thoughtful analysis of upcoming equity research trends that will prove important to clients' investment decisions through both its InTune podcast, as well as their commodity-specific Metal Matters, hosted by Colin Hamilton. If you enjoyed today's InTune podcast, please do subscribe and rate it.
0: Thanks for listening to Intune, presented by BMO Capital Markets Equity Research. You can subscribe to Intune on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast providers, or visit our website at researchglobalzero.bmo.capitalmarkets.com to listen to more podcasts. Until next time, thank you for tuning in. To access our full disclosures, please visit researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com slash public disclosure.